recorded on Wednesday, January 15, 2014, in St. Louis, Missouri, and Gloucester, Massachusetts. This Agile Life, Episode 32, Location, Location, Location. Welcome to This Agile Life, a podcast about what it's like to be agile in the real world. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Amos King. Hey, John. Good evening. Good evening, Amos. And Jason Tice. Hi, John. Good to talk to you for Happy New Year, too, by the way. Happy New Year, Jason. It's good to talk to you. Guys, tonight we have a special guest joining us. We have Karen Favaza Spencer. She is an Agile coach and the author of the Agile ABC book. And Jason. Hi, guys. Karen. Hi, Karen. Welcome. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. And Karen, I, I understand that you have the privilege of actually having met and known uh, Jason Tice outside of the podcast. Yes, I have. He and I have connected April 2013 at the Agile Games Conference here in Boston. So for, so for those of you that don't know, Karen's a good colleague I have met. She's from Boston, um, and I just Karen knows where uh, John, um, Amos, and myself are all from Missouri, um, and we're going to officially say the World Series and what happened oh, no. is not on tonight's <laughs> agenda. <laughs> what happened last year, that's last year's news. But, that's right. But I, as Karen mentioned, I bumped into Karen. Um, uh, actually, I believe it was at the, the first, uh, kind of just the opening of the conference. Uh, we were just kind of talking about what we did. She mentioned she was an author. Um, she had, and she actually had her book there. Um, and she, when I saw it, I immediately said, wow, the applications of this simple book, because it takes Agile and makes it very simple to understand, and it's, it actually has pictures, it's illustrated. The coaching options, the training options are limitless. So, Karen, I applaud what you've what you've provided to the Agile community, and I'm really happy that you can join us this evening to talk about a little bit about the book, but also about you know your your ideas and your thoughts about Agile in general. Well, thank you very much, Jason. I'm thrilled to be here, and I and I so appreciate your feedback on the book. It's wonderful to hear um, the real life application because you know sending out a book into the world is, is sort of like sending your child out into the world. You hope it does well. And the, and the only thing I can say is I, I, as, um, I did show the book to both my two-year-old and my four-year-old. The four-year-old <laughs> learned the book, and then a bad thing happened. She learned about Annie. So until we turn the book into a musical, I can't get her interested <laughs> in it anymore. Maybe that's an idea for my next book. <laughs> I think I think there's something we can we can roll with that. But you can get your you can get your daughter. That, we probably should probably get back to the the real discussion. So I'll let John make that segue. Well, thank you, Jason. As as I am such so good at making uncomfortable segues from one topic to the next. <laughs> so we're we're pleased to have you here, Karen. And tonight we've picked a topic, uh, one that, that you actually suggested. We're not just going to be talking about your book, but our topic tonight is location, 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 the three faces of environment. And there was something else about kindergarten in there that I left out. Or how a kindergarten classroom can be a model for an agile environment. That's perfect, I think, because these developers, I mean, they just act like kindergartners all the time anyway, <laughs> right? 
Hey. Well, if they're good developers, they do because kindergartners learn really fast. Young kids pick things up like sponges. Oh, that's an well, excellent point. Well, well, the other thing too that that I think is interesting now, the other story that that I have, um, I think I told it recently how I had a parent-teacher conference for a four-year-old, and we came in and we left without a goal. So, but you know, for early early child education or even kindergarten. It's really about unstructured learning and exploratory learning, which is really one of the things that is embodied within Agile. I mean, it's the whole reason why we would have a technical spike within a sprint. So a team could go explore something and they might not create software that adds business value, but they create something that they, they get the power of learning and they use that as they go forward. Well, it's, it's not as unstructured as you think, though. You know, when you set up a early childhood environment, the environment is a huge player. And that's where a lot of the learning is generated. Just just think for a minute, guys. When you walk into a kindergarten classroom, what do you see? Colors and toys and windows and letters. Just, just everything. The, the, alpha, <laughs> the alphabet. Everywhere. You see things everywhere. You see things on the walls. You see things everywhere. It is, it's an environment that pulls you in. It communicates to it. It's not blank walls like a lot of these um, offices are. Oh, we got these beautiful walls. Maybe there's a pretty picture on it, whatever. But there are things to do. And how do you feel when you walk into a kindergarten classroom or an early childhood classroom? I think the simple thing I would say, Karen, is that you feel engaged. I was like, wow, look at all the stuff I can do here. And instead of just walking into this environment that was kind of very, very sterile, I walked in and said it literally pulled me further into the room. Yes. This is why it's you should welcome. have idea paint on every wall. Yeah, good idea. Having the, the room, the um, team space where they can draw on the walls, fantastic idea. Um, but the, yeah, the, the kindergarten classroom where it's exploratory learning, but it, it welcomes them, engages them, it makes them feel safe, and it tells them the third phase of the environment there is story space. They know how they're supposed to interact in that space. You know, they have the um, names here, they have their job boards, they have all kinds of things. They know what they're expected to do. And that's something that's sometimes missing in the work um, environment. Oftentimes, a a person will say, boss, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. They can't figure out what they're supposed to do. They want the boss to tell them because they make it too complicated. Sometimes we say that. Just tell me what to do, what I want to do, you want me to do, and I'll do it. But if we make the environment an active player, then they explore, like you said, Jason, and do things and they understand things. And the environment really guides them to make the most use of what they can can do with their own mind. One thing that I noticed when um, my youngest is in kindergarten, actually, and when I go into her classroom, they have a, a carpet that has like a circle on it in the middle, and that's where everybody gathers and sits around. And, and I think that that is a, is a perfect thing to be, bring to your work areas. You, you definitely need a place where the team um, it can, can gather, like a, a bunch of walls and cubicles that block people away from each other don't give you that. So a nice open space not just sitting at desks facing each other and talking, but a big yeah, open yeah. space is important. And, and then they have circle time. And, you know, circle time is uh, what I call, at least in uh, Western culture and American culture, where every school does this. Um, I know people typically sit down and with kids that's good because of energy, but it's like a stand-up meeting. It's literally talk about what you're doing. And I've actually been able to use the idea now that I've seen what my own kids go through in school. I've used this as a way to kind of, you know, build the bridge between colleagues that you know may have kids who know all this stuff and then younger colleagues who don't have kids yet. And 
you know, you could say, hey, this makes sense. And as your kids grow up, you could actually explain some of the things you do at work doing Agile to your kids and they'll understand it because it's like circle time. It is. And you know the show and tell that they have once a week? <laughs> That's the review. Yeah, that's the a demo. demo. That's the demo. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, so the, the question I throw out there, Karen, is, you know, we talk about this. We start, we start indoctrinating children with this very simple idea that emphasizes communication and exploratory learning. Two of the four tenets of Agile. What goes wrong whereby we, you know, we build companies, we build cubicles, and we lose that pureness that is so effective? Ego. Really? Like, yeah. like, what do you mean? The ego of boss, the person who decides has to be in charge and has to be ordering people around. The, con- the whole control thing is what I think goes wrong. Um, I, I think a big part of it, too, is when we say, okay, now you're graduated and you have this degree, therefore you can go out and you know everything you need to know. In some ways, I think we communicate to people that they're supposed to be all know everything and stop learning and when you admit you don't know something you feel like oh my god i'm a, a fraud I'm, I'm earning money and i don't know the answer to this or i'm not doing it right and, and that sets up a psychological um space that is a good space that's another the environment as far as i'm concerned you have to have that psychological space where it's safe to fail safe to explore we use those words in agile but then we don't often we don't always walk talk as well as we should. But you're a professional. You can't play anymore. <laughs> okay, so so Amy, you know, you know, uh, Karen and I did meet at the Agile Games Conference. So, um, <laughs> we, do we want to have that debate right now? Okay, so oh, I don't think it's a debate. I, I believe that was very facetious on my part. I think but, that I think that play is very important. Uh, you know, you talked about show and tell. I don't think that show and tell just stops at the demo or with the product that your team is working on. But encourage the people on the team to have outside projects and bring them in and talk about them. Hey, every Friday at lunchtime, we're going to hang out together and, and talk about what uh, what side hobbies you have, what you've done. Like, tell us all about who you are in your life, because every life experience that you bring brings a new piece of knowledge to the team in order to work harder, work better, work faster. Yeah, or even tell it. Even technically, um, a neat one that I'll throw out there, um, and it's actually more of a training activity, um, but we, we call it a ride-along. And this is where I was, I was actually doing some work recently. We were talking about ways to set up a good training center to do technical, technical training for like test-driven development and other, other, other practices. And what, one of, um, what, what, what we were talking about is an idea where each, each pair is working at a workstation but at any point in time, the instructor could almost like take the work and whatever the pair is doing and put it up like on a projection screen in front of the whole room and solicit that immediate show and tell. So, you know, like right now, tell us, you know, why you're refactoring that class the way you are or why you implemented the tests of that matter. And that type of reinforcement, it helps to promote mastery, which is the way to solicit effective learning. So if you're building a training... If you're building a training room, do something where you could let people share the screen and pop it up there on the projector real easily. What if you did that in your war room? What if what if you had uh, a screen up there that showed a workstation all the time? What if it switched every 30 minutes, just like you pair every hour, like you pair switch, and it just picks a different station and shows it up there so that, you know, if you're 
getting up and walking around and you can look up there and see what somebody else, some other pair is doing. I think that's a great idea, Amos. I, I think the idea of big screen, and I know a while back we talked about mobbing a little bit, although I can't personally remember if we've had the mob discussion yet on this Agile Life, I forget. Um, John shake his head. No, he's, he's our historian. So, um, <laughs> you know, mob program, programming, controversial practice. I think a, a, maybe a good compromise out of mobbing is something like that, where with very little setup, the team can immediately screen share. Everyone can come together. And instead of just having to turn around where you talk, you can actually look at some artifacts if you need to have a technical discussion and make those decisions. Um, and then at that juncture, if you're doing that with pairs, that's awesome. And I would totally recommend that if you aren't pairing and you have people working as individuals, it's a way to start promoting some more effective communication and collaboration. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I want my work area with the team if we're co-located to look like NORAD just with like big status screens and stuff everywhere, just because it's fun. It's engaging. It's there's lights and all kinds of things. And that's how I want it anyway. Big giant screens in the background. Fun. And, and, that, <laughs> and that, and that sounds like a kindergarten classroom. You have all, have all the big giant screens, people busy doing things and sharing it all. Exactly. That's what it should be. With learning and with schooling, particularly with professionals, when they roll out, like you said, Karen, when they graduate from school, there's this impression that I've, I've gotten my sheepskin. I'm moving on in my life. I'm I'm done with the learning phase, and now I'm on to my my professional execution phase. And maybe in some professions that's true, although I would say it's not, because it's really that's really the basic laying of the basic foundation for uh, your your profession, your practice, etc. And that is really the thing that enables you to start your real journey, your real learning, is when you enter that professional community and you start learning on the job with the people that you're working with every day. Yeah, I'll show John. Yeah, we, we, I've been having some discussions lately. Um, and actually, I had a, it was coaching, and we were talking about the technical spikes. I'll throw this out as a question for you guys. You know, typically what pattern that I've seen is when a project starts, they do a lot of technical spikes, kind of figure out what they're doing, you know, test out that idea of, you know, what technologies do we want to put in a walking skeleton? Should that... Should that idea of having a technical spike continue throughout a project or, or should it taper off? You mean the ability to have technical spikes throughout the project? No, I would say just the, so if you're looking at metrics, just kind of looking at team behavior, is it a problem if a team stops having spikes once they, you know, kind of do a few, have a few sprints under their belt and they kind of figure out what they're doing? If they stop having them? Yeah, they, they, knowing uh, that, knowing that, are they are they forfeiting the opportunity for additional learning? I I, I think so. I will um, often. Uh, I've I've kind of been shot down about this by some guys on the podcast before. Is I'm I'm a big fan of hour long pair switching, and I also like to be at a commit point at that that juncture. So at the hour long pair switching point, I take everything that is not committed, doesn't have tests, and I just roll back. That way I'm only throwing away an hour, and now I move forward with a lot more knowledge. So yeah, I was, I remember just working with, um, again, talking about training and such. I mean, training is one type of activity you could do to promote learning. And obviously, when if you go to training, you know, some, some, some courses are better than others. Some courses are more relevant than others. But the, the beauty of the spike is it's it's relevant to the context of a team. 
So you're, you know, you're not using some, you're not, you shouldn't be using some type of fictitious example. You should be trying to, you know, follow and align to whatever your project and the technology is, you know, trying to figure that out. So everything you learn is nearly 100% relevant for what you're, the problem you're trying to solve. Most training classes can't do that. Um, but the, the pattern I've noticed is just, you know, you, you start a project, you kind of have that, 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 that allocation of some time for learning, some time for story development. Project goes on, you get to the third or fourth release, and if you look at if you look at the story backlog, most teams I see teams that don't have a lot of spikes, some that have none. And I, I question at that if their opportunity for learning is being missed by not, you know, having a retrospective and reflecting and trying to say, hey, listen, here's something as a team we need to learn. Let's do a spike on that in the next sprint and then see if it can help us improve what we do. And you should do that throughout a project. But don't you think they're learning when they're doing the actual development work and they're getting it done? There's learning happening with that as well, not just during a a spike they learn. They learn in in the day-to-day work. Yeah, I I agree totally with that, Karen. So that's where I'm just – I just want – this is just a discussion I've been having with a few colleagues, um, and it's it's just come up naturally. And and the question is, is it needed? And – if a team takes an opportunity and they say, we're going to uh, kind of like Amos said, we're going to you know, have a timeout and allocate a small portion of our time that we're mm-hmm. working on the project to do something where we are going to deliberately learn something. Would that help us improve? And if, if we take that discipline and apply it throughout the life cycle of a project, does that enable us to write better quality software as a team? You know what I think you might be alluding to here, Jason, to take it back to the three faces that Karen mentioned, shared space, safe space, and story space. What I would be concerned about with the lack of spikes occurring is something that would maybe fit under the safe space area where has trust been lost to where the team no longer feels that it's okay, that it's safe for them to fail, that it's safe for them to take take a chance, take a risk, try to learn something new in the context of having a safe space and this thing called a spike to which they could spend time learning, possibly fail, and then move on. Yeah, no, I agree totally, John. I mean, to me, I look at this from I, I, my, my background for this is I, I believe it, it's from lean and this idea of Kaizen. We're always working to improve. And so we should be doing deliberate things to do that. And, you know, I think some teams might say, you know what, we've got our architecture all we're doing is building on top of it. We're adding new user stories to add additional business functionality. That architecture is good enough. Let's just leave it. Um, and I think when if you if teams become complacent like that, either because they don't feel trusted to ask to do that research, then that's just wasteful. I mean, who knows what opportunities for learning and for improvement are being missed? And then back to Karen's point, I think that it is accurate that teams are still continuously learning as they're going through the cycle of development, uh, there could be uh, there could be times where a team has reached a point where they have learned as much as they're going to learn about maybe the domain or the the architectural components, and some of the official spiking uh, is in the past, and they don't need to do that anymore. But hopefully, there's learning that's constantly going on just through the interactions of the team and exploring new stories and work to be done. And I think you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Karen. Um, but I think Jason brings up a good point, um, and, and that is that we get 
so caught up in just doing what we're doing that we sometimes forget that there are other opportunities. That's what I think I'm hearing you say the technical spice is another opportunity for them to um, explore where where they could be and that we might have to sometimes shake them up with that and not and say we are going to make a conscious effort to put it in um, sort of like they did the FedEx days or, the, or, or what we do with the retrospective, a conscious time that when we haven't done something for a while, let's, let's add a little risk, a little spice to what's going on, and see what comes out of it. And I think that there's a lot of like learning that happens as you go along, but just because you learn something and you recognize something in your product doesn't mean that you apply what you learned right away because you have deadlines and you are freaked out and you don't have time where like if you give them that, that safe space to explore a little bit and, and the time in order to do that, then they can try to apply those things that they've recognized that they're learning along the way. What and, and then, you know, that takes that learning and solidifies it in the head too. As, I'd like to maybe. As you, yeah, you forget things. You, you forget what you, you, you say. Oh yeah, I, I learned that a while ago, but I've forgotten it because I haven't had a chance to exercise it. If you don't use it, you lose it. So we talked a little bit there about the safe space. Um, what about more some more stuff about the shared space? So, Karen, you have in the notes here that it's the manifest thoughts in the real world. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you see the shared space? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, I was with a client, and they were talking about moving the um, the the development team from where they were because they were growing and they couldn't stay where they were. And the question was, were they going to put them um, in a war room down the end of the hall or were they going to put them a windowless war room, you know, down the end of the hall, way down the end of the hall, windowless and all of that. Or were they going to put them in a bunch of cubicles right outside the product owner's office in the middle of the call center? And, oh, everybody wanted to be cubicles because you had windows and it was close to, close to the product owner and all of that. And I'm, I was saying, guys, I think you're missing the boat. If you're in this war room, you, you, you're going to have walls that you can write on. You can all be together. But if you're in the cubicles, you're going to have the call center and the human resources and the bosses all around you. Oh, no, no. You don't want to put them in that space. You want to be in the nice space. Windows. Oh, I can appreciate that. I'm human. I like windows. But when they moved into that space, there were four pod and two in another pod and two in another pod nearby. They were very close to each other. But they were spending all their time on chat, sending each other chats. You look over and you see them. They're all sitting fairly close together. They look like they're working and everything. But I can see the chats and they're joking and whatever. And there's all this chatting going around. I can't help but think that if they were in that war room, a lot more work would have been getting on because it would have been a more conducive space to um, what they needed to be doing. And wouldn't it have been a better uh, better interactions and a, a, probably a richer interaction if, even if they were joking, if they would have been maybe joking in person or um, speaking about the project in person? If If I'm having... Aaron, if I'm having an instant messaging chatting session with you, there's no possibility that anyone else could hear us mm-hmm. <laughs> other than maybe, you know, with Jason and Amos's loud keyboards, I could hear 
clickety 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 and you're trying to read back and you, it just it just doesn't work it doesn't work at all all the wasted time waiting for the months to come back and everything so I, I think um, the, the shared space is very important in a way different than we often think because remember the folks who, the, the, the developers and management and everyone that kept saying this is the better space because of our image of what a nice space is but it really wasn't the best space for the work that they needed to do um, I, I do a lot of remote work uh, recently, especially in the past year. And I, I find that um, I try to mimic that being, being there and I avoid text chat. I will bring up Skype or Google Hangouts or, or some other tool that allows me to have a voice and hopefully face-to-face conversation with somebody. Uh, and, and it does make a big difference. There's a lot of emotional context that you can't get from text. Uh, no matter how many smiley faces or frowning faces somebody puts in there, the East, mm-hmm. it's not the same. It's amazing. I was working, um, I was an agile coach on a team where we had a bunch of people in one location in India. And then we had a handful of people here um, in Boston area. And we're having all these conference calls. They had a video chat suite set up and everything and great big screens. Gorgeous. I said, why are we using that? Well, you know, nobody ever had. So I got it all set up, went to use it the first time. And I mean, we had a wall, like being a huge theater. And we had the whole team there. It was amazing. I was trying to see somebody sitting behind somebody else in here. And I found myself actually leaning to try to look around the person on the screen. But we had those uncomfortable silences on the phone before, and people would say, well, what are they doing? They're not talking. Well, we had the silences when we saw them on the screen. We could see they were consulting with each other, and they were typing, and they were looking things up. So it, it just made everything so much more real. Even the silences weren't silent. We had the screen to see what was actually happening. Yeah, and we're actually being relatively tame tonight here on the podcast because I know in the past we've used charades in all types of ways, you know, hand raising. <laughs> yeah, we're interesting. But I mean, what I wanted to add to that is, you know, we're saying, and 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 someone asked me recently, they're like, you know, they're saying, Jason, what is, you know, if there was one thing that you would, you know, one high level thing, so that was most important, you know, to help teams and really organizations be successful with Agile, you know, what is it? And it's all about communication. I mean, all we're doing here is taking, you know, what at one point where people, if anything, created institutionalized processes to, if anything, inhibit communication. So heaven forbid we actually talk to each other about what we need to do. We're going to write it down in documents that are thousands of pages long, and then we're going to give that document to someone else, and then we're going to think they'll read it and they can edit it. But why not just talk to the person? Um, and I know it's it seems strange, and I know when I, I know when I teach agile courses, I deliberately do a lot of activities that force people to communicate, and it's interesting to see how people react because they're like, "Come on, we want to do technical stuff." Let me no. If we don't have that foundation of communication in place, you know, and as a, and as a especially in a coaching session, you're not infusing that into people, then they may think that okay, I can work around the need to communicate with you know documentation or with technology. And the sorry thing is, you can't. You have to work with that. You have to so- talk. Software development is not a technical problem. It's a people problem. And there are exactly. so many developers, especially coming straight out of school, 
that don't realize that they think they're going to go in and, and I, I know everything about a computer and I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to be awesome at it and amazing. And then they get out there and realize, Holy cow, I have to talk to people. I have to be social. I have to bathe. What is going on? <laughs> you have to exercise your kindergarten skill. You have right. to know yeah. how, to, how to talk politely and take turns and share and collaborate. And, and you find out that when you're playing in the block corner, it's a lot more fun when the group of you guys get together and you, and you decide what you're going to do and you talk about it and you work together. It's a lot more fun than when you do it by yourself. Well, and maybe, you know, to bring the kindergarten thing up again, and just anyone who has kids knows this. And if you don't have kids, you know, if you see people with kids or when you have kids one day, you'll experience this, is that something that kids do very well that helps on a team is kids don't know how to filter. Because, you know, that's a emotionally, that's a that's a pretty advanced thing that your brain develops later in life. Some of it is through natural behavior. Some of it is through learned behavior. And because of that, kids are honest. They're open. They're transparent. They'll say anything. You know, they're, you know, my four-year-old, well, we go, out, we go out shopping before the holidays. She comes back, tells my wife everything we bought. I'm like, okay, Christmas surprise is ruined. Thank you. But that, because they don't know that. Imagine a team did that. Because teams put silos up. They don't want to talk. People avoid people. I don't have worked with me. I don't have a filter. No, Avis, you don't have a filter. And, and, I, and, and you know, I You're don't have one either. So <laughs> I think if you if you do an Agile podcast like this, you probably don't have a filter. So, that's but, right. so, and again, look, guys, for all of our listeners out there, you know, we're doing this. You know, I mean, obviously, be respectful. If you're in the United States, remember, there are certain laws that cannot be broken. So that is a tough thing. But, you know, so don't get yourself fired. Do an experiment. Turn your filter off, you know? I mean, and understand you got to give some. If you give some, you got to be willing to take some. So maybe you give someone some feedback. Guess, guess what? You might get some right back in your face, you know? But understand if you do that, it can help a team improve because you can put that behind you and you can move forward. If, yeah. if you remove the filter, you usually have more honest and immediate feedback too, which is another thing that um, you get it in a kindergarten class is that when you're in kindergarten and you're young, you do something good, the teacher immediately says, hey, great job. And they give you immediate feedback. And then as we get older and we get into college and you you finish that test and then the teacher gets around to grading it a month later, maybe. And sometimes they don't hand it back. You just find out at the end of the semester what you got. Well, so well, we, well, we, we lengthen that feedback cycle and a lot of agilists try to bring it back down to that immediate, hey, good job or hey, you messed up. Let's move. Let's figure this out. The Amos, what I want to ask you is, or, or hey, Karen, I'm sure you, you probably know the answer to this question, but what's unique about that feedback that you get in kindergarten? What, what well, makes it more effective? What makes it more effective is, you know, we, we know that a person needs five positive um, pieces of feedback to counteract one negative piece of feedback. But in the real life world, you always think, I've got some feedback for you. It's never good. <laughs> in, kinder in kindergarten, with little kids, it's, oh, what a wonderful job you did. And what is this word? Oh, my goodness, that word is pirate. I see that. That's very good. Here's the standard spelling for pirate. You can try using this spelling, too, sometimes. Rather than, you know, telling them it's all wrong, you say good things. You make them feel good. Yeah. You, this this is something that we need to learn. We, we need to be able to say, I recognize you for who you are. I've had wonderful experiences as a 
quote when I say this, say the things somebody's like, gee, I really appreciate your forthrightness. I know I can always depend on you for that. And the person just opens up because they're uncomfortable being forthright half the time. They know they're sticking their neck out. And they get some positive feedback for that. They feel wonderful. They tell me more things. I found out more things. And they, and they I have reinforced that positive behavior. Don't get that so much in the real world. And, and what I was going to add to what I was going to add to that, based on what Amos said, Karen, and you, you echoed it exactly, is all of that feedback. It's fostering intrinsic motivation. So, mm-hmm. and, and for kids, guess what? It, there's nothing else you can do. So, I mean, it, when you have a kid in kindergarten or you're in early childhood education, you know the teacher can't give them a grade because they don't understand what it is. And so they have to do other things that are true natural, their natural recognition patterns or natural reinforcement patterns. And that, that, that truly motivates you. Then of course, go to the ego thing later on in life. You know, we create systems, we do grades, we do, you know, points, you know, performance evaluations, and we start to give feedback where we, we bring the extrinsic factors into it and they're just not as effective. Go ahead. Uh, I I was going to discuss one way to give uh, effective feedback that I've had amazing success with with people is that we're we live in a world of sound bites and technology and emails and everybody's in a hurry and you just go by and you say hey good work today and you walk away sit down and hand write somebody a note sometime to tell them thank you and just leave it on their desk you'll find out like from you'll be at the christmas party for work and somebody's spouse will come up to you and be like hey i don't know what you did but you gave him or her this letter and now it's like in a frame sitting on their desk at home. <laughs> and, and those people will, you can make people do complete one eighties on a team and become the most effective person on the team by taking the time to actually hand write a note. It's funny. It's funny, Amos. Uh, we had recently in a retrospective had someone give some feedback that we had a culture that wasn't the, it wasn't the norm to say thank you and to thank people publicly uh, and and quite the opposite was actually true so when some people tried to get give thanks they were often sh- uh, shot down or shut down before they could really do that and then we decided that we were going to actually implement a policy on the team where we not a policy just a uh, a, um, a practice oh. that we decided to do where we would get these thank you notes and if you wanted to say thank you to somebody we encouraged you to do that and write them a little note and it's just a little fancy sticky note that you hand to the person or stick on their computer. And I think it's made a change. See, back around Thanksgiving, it's funny, here's a, this happened today, actually. The, uh, we did a, uh, I did an activity, it was right after the Deep Agile Conference um, that Agile in England did. So I did this, this Agile Thanksgiving experiment that a few teams um, at, at, at a company, at the company I refer to, they did it. And um, where you, you like put your team names up there, then people just kind of go make a, it's like a buffet. You, you write ideas up there. So, so we're, we're reorganizing because we got some new projects up this week and we were, we found the agile Thanksgiving poster. And what's funny. So someone threw it over and they gave it to me and they're like, here, Jason have this. So I took it and I took it back to the, 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 the area where I have a bunch of stuff just laying there in a big mess, basically. And what's funny is a few, two people from that team, they actually came over and they took the post-it notes that people wrote about them by hand, and they took them and they said, can they keep them? And they did that. And I, I don't know where they went. They took them back to wherever they're, whatever project they're working on now. But this idea of providing that feedback, writing it down so it has staying power. Because a lot of times in a retro, there's lots of great kudos, 
But the thing is, people leave the retro. The next day, there's a crisis, and everyone forgets all. It's it's very easy to forget all of that good, positive energy. Nice. So, they put those sticky notes in a frame on their desk at home. Told you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just saying, but there's a way to do it, and it's proof that that, that is effective. I mean, we, we did an activity. It was in a team area. When that team was decommissioned, we... You know, I, we were just cleaning up and someone said, hey, I want those because they meant something and they had a positive impact on that person. And so, you know, what? that's awesome. And, you know, we need again, those are these are all these communication and human factors things. We need more of that in teams, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much everywhere. Absolutely. I went back when I was a business manager, I had a team and it was a hard job. And I started writing things and, and posting them where they would come in and sign in in um for their, it was the second shift type job, and, and quote of the night, so-and-so said this and whatever, or congratulations, and she made this many calls, or a wonderful conversion rate, um, Joe, and whatever, and I was just posting these things, something different, almost every night up there, and at first people were just kind of looking at it, not saying anything, and then they started complimenting each other and said, wow, that was great, Joe, you did that. That was great, Kathy, you did that. And they started having conversations around it. And several of them told me, said, you know, I find myself when I'm approaching work, walking a little faster because I put up. It was just great. It was just a great team building thing. It was just a little something that was publicly said about somebody that was really good. Isn't that amazing? Because what did that cost the company? It costs the company virtually nothing. You used mm-hmm. materials that you already had there. You didn't have to go out and buy everybody fancy shirts or coffee cups or $50 gift cards to Starbucks. It was writing something down and telling, authentically telling someone thank you. Yeah, and a great little teaming activity. I mean, this is more of a team builder, and by no means is this an agile practice. Um, actually, I believe that the there's a Toastmasters game. I forget the name of it that does this, um, but it's where you use a time box and you, you, you pair up and you give someone who you work with and you have a, a connection to, you give them positive feedback for a few minutes. And, you know, it's tough. It's tough to look someone in the eye face to face and, and really, you know, give if anything, just give them feedback. It could be positive. It could be constructive, but maintain that dialogue and for a, a prolonged period of time, a lot longer than many people feel comfortable doing so. So maybe do the clock for two or three minutes and see what happens. Isn't it amazing that in the in the span of the history of of humanity, we've we humanity has had more time where we haven't had a written form of communication than the time that we have had written communication. And so much stuff was was communicated by face-to-face conversation, by word of mouth, including things like sharing the history and learnings. And all of a sudden, as soon as we find, you know, the ability to scratch little marks onto cuneiform tablets, all of a sudden we all sh- we all clamp down and stop talking to each other. And now we just want to write things down and let leave it at that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Agile factor is gonna debate that a little bit. Uh oh, here I, comes the agile well, factor, Karen. Watch out. All right, agile factor is gonna debate. I think I don't know if I agree that I think we have had written. Well, we had. How do you account, John, for the idea of drawing pictures in that statement you just? Made? Don't try and argue with my history. 
Well, what, what I want to say is I think that sometimes we, we overcomplicate communication using language. Uh, one of my strongest mentors in the last few years um, had a policy that everything I presented to him when I was working kind of as a consultant, I had to do it in a pictorial manner. So if I put something together and it had words, I literally was told to redo it. And, and this, this, this was actually in the military domain. So it was like, literally, it was like, okay, fail, go do it again. You, you know, don't do that. Amos is like, so I was forced, um, I was forced to learn how to communicate in pictures. So what I heard and, you say is that the mili- in the military, they can't read. Well, and Amos, Amos John, like, John, <laughs> Amos was in the service. This involved 13 the Marine, years, John. This involved the Marine Corps. Well, the Marine Corps is freaking oh, awesome oh, at what they do. Okay, so, but anyways, we needed to have pictures. Okay, send your hate mail to John Sextro, uh, John at gmail dot com. Anyways, the story goes: the power to communicate in pictures is something I think we are not taking full advantage of. Uh, we, we just just earlier, we just actually earlier today, we were having a discussion about how a team could go through a chartering exercise. And yes, you could go through a chartering exercise. You could write a big document. You could fill it out. You could try to maintain it. What if you just drew a picture? You know, what does your team look like? Draw a picture of your working agreements, you know, figure out what it means and maintain that. It's a different way to communicate. It takes less time to do it. And well, from my own mentoring and things that I was challenged to learn and how I evolved, I would think it's actually in some instances, it allows for more effective communication. A lot of retrospective games are, are that way. Well, that's, inten- that's a picture. Well, that's intentional. But the problem is if you look at teams, I only see them drawing pictures and using pictures in their retrospectives. So let's do that for other team activities other than a retro. And ER diagrams don't count. One of, this is one of the things I really like about Agile, too, because you're, you're talking about evolution. The rational part of our brain where we make decisions, where we use a lot of language, is a very small part of our brain. The bulk of our brain is visual, motor, and auditory. We know things at a glance. We need to do things to understand it. Once you learn how to ride a bicycle, you never forget. None of this stuff has to do with language or whatever. It's a whole, a whole other part of our brain that is really underutilized um, in businesses. And that's where the pictures come in. And you, know, you were talking before, whatever. I think one of the things I like about Agile, about the filters, is if you say to somebody, okay, fist of five, what do you want, folks, right now? One, two, three, fist of five. Fingers go up, and they will tell you much more truthfully without a filter if they have to use their hand to one, two, three, four, five than if you ask them their opinion because it's scary to you know to speak up and perhaps be on the other side of somebody with power in a room. But with 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 a fist of five or a Roman vote, much easier. We recently were uh, introducing the practice of the fist of five, and I thought that the, the practice in and of itself for the for this group would initially be a little scary as well. So I actually had everyone for the very first time that we did Fist of Five, you had to not only hold up your fingers, but mm-hmm. you had to cover your eyes. So <laughs> so you would you would not be uh you would you would not be tempted to wait and and look at someone else's what someone else had put up before you put them up. So this would challenge everyone to be Completely transparent, and I would like uh-huh. to point out that the uh, the agile factor did make some excellent points there about about the drawings and pictures and how those are uh, a, fo- a a very good form of communication. So I just want to picture is worth a thousand words. So they tell Fair. me. 
So that yeah. tells me when Cutter says I can write a three thousand word article, all I have to do is draw three pictures and I'm done. <laughs> and, and I, I said a um, whiteboard is worth a, a hundred page specification document. Yes. You, so you, you said, heard it here uh, from Karen. A Roman boat. Is that the Roman same thing? Boat. Oh, Roman, Roman boat. boat. Okay. Roman How do you say boat? boat? I'm like no, frantically boat. looking it up. <laughs> no. <laughs> Roman boat. Thumbs up, thumbs down. So we may be at a uh, a good segue point here. We're, we're uh, at about 40 minutes in the conversation. Um, maybe we should go ahead and do the picks and or ask Karen here if she... Are there any other points before we wrap up, Karen, that you want to get in? Now, just to reiterate, um, to kind of conversation flow, that you did state it very well once, um, John, the three parts of uh, three-phase environment, as far as I'm concerned, is making sure you have the physical space set up well, and that just doesn't include whether the team is in a war room or cubicles or what that's like, but also space that they're working in, because that's a very physical environment for them, too. You have to have, make sure that those environments are working smoothly for um, continuous integration and deployment if you want things to work. The psychological safe space, where they know that they can be engaged and it's okay to risk and fail. And, and the process space, the story space, they know where they belong in it, what their personal narrative is, so that they understand... Um, how to really be pulled in and engaged, like you do in, in, in the kindergarten room. And as far as my top picks, you want to hear my top picks? Yeah, let's go ahead and do our picks. Before we do, Karen, I, want to, I wanted to ask you something. I wanted to ask you if, when you're doing your consulting and going around and talking to people, if you actually uh, suggest or bring up the, the topic of kindergarten from the perspective of, how to maybe organize a room or using that as a metaphor for how to decorate the room or how to put information and share information in the room. Never as much as I'm doing it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Never as much as I'm doing it on this podcast. Um, some people respond to it very well. Other, pe other people, I, I feel my way a little bit in it. Um, I don't want to go too far out on the limb, scare them. <laughs> Yeah, and Karen, I agree with that. Um, but, you know, it's funny, and I know last time we did it, last time I was on an episode of This Agile Life, one of my picks was talking about Richard Sheridan's book that came out um, uh, December 26, 2013, uh, with Joy, Inc., which is, is the book about Menlo Innovations and their their culture and how they did that to create an environment. Having now read the book, um, and it's a really good book, uh, you know, it talks about that openness, um, doesn't quite go so far as to call it a kindergarten classroom, but if you if you know what's in a kindergarten classroom and you read that book, you start to make you can make the connection. Yeah. So that might just be another metaphor that I think it to have another story to tell that could be mm -hmm. in a coach's arsenal. Um, actually, as a coach as well as you know, if you're a change agent or a change artist, as Esther Derby says, uh, you know, a way to help those who may not be able to relate, give them a scenario that they can relate to, so they can see the value and impact. And that, that's really the, the core of all learning, which you learn um, in, in psychology and in, in this theory of learning. And that is you have to take the person where they are, whether they're four years old. You have to start where they are and build on what they know that, so that they can get to the next step. You can't just make the big jump. You have to do it in stages. Well, it has been wonderful, Karen, to speak with you tonight about location 
and about the three faces of environment and, and how that relates to all the things that we can possibly learn and extract from the kindergarten classroom. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. All right. Now we can go into our picks. And of course, we'll give our special guest, Karen, <laughs> the first opportunity to give us her picks tonight. I have, thank you. I have two picks. Of course, I like my book, the Agile ABC book. But I also want to put a pick out there for Innovation Games. Uh, they have a wonderful set of games. As a matter of fact, I'm going to one of their workshops this week um, that help businesses to set up their environment so that they get work done collaboratively. And I think that's a wonderful um, opportunity for anybody who isn't familiar with that to check out Innovation Games. Excellent. And uh, so, so you're, you're endorsing the Innovation Games company knowing there's the innovation games book and there's the innovation games that are all over the internet. So it's a whole enterprise. It's an enterprise, Amos. It's an enterprise. It is. <laughs> it's an enterprise awesome. of innovation it's games. All about all about environment. I think, environment. I, think I threw up in my throat a little bit when you said enterprise. All I can say is <laughs> all I can say is guess what? Thank you to Luke for making Luke Holman behind the, the the mastermind behind um innovation games for making an enterprise that's good, Amos. And you know what? I think if, if if companies want to set up an innovation games center of excellence, that is a uh-huh. center of excellence that uh-huh. would be good. Uh-huh. Well, it's been a long time since the evil enterprise uh, architect eerie. came out. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see him again. Oh, he's back. Okay. okay. Well, I'll go next, Dan. How about that? You okay, got so it, Jason. I, I have two. Um, I was I was crowdsourcing these. Um, First, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm going to probably get razzed here by Amos because it is it is vendor affiliated. Uh, but our, our friends over at Atlassian, or at, at Atlassian, the guys that make Jira, they have a, an interesting series of very entertaining short videos they've made called How Not to Do Agile. They've created this guy named Chet Wrong, or Chet Wrong, Chet Wrong, I forget. He's the world's worst Agile coach. And they poke a little bit of fun at things like stand-ups, requirements documents, retrospectives. But in some instances, there's value because you could say, this is not what we should be doing. And if you happen to watch these videos and you see some things that they might poke a little bit of fun at, but you know that maybe you have some challenges internally, um, it's an interesting way to have a conversation. And if you understand a lot about Agile, I think you'll laugh. So check that out. We'll be sure to put the, they actually have a YouTube channel for it. We'll put the link to the YouTube channel in the show notes. Um, and the other one that I want to just plug is um, uh, Agile New England. I think I've mentioned them before. Um, that's the Agile, kind of the Agile users group in the Boston, Massachusetts area. Um, it's how I met Karen. They do great programming. For those of you that are in the Midwest, the St. Louis area, since we have a lot of listeners there, because that's where this Agile Life is based out of physically. Um, uh, it's only a, about a three-hour flight to Boston. Um, it's a lot of fun to head up there, so... Um, you should check it out sometime if you want to. Um, they got a baseball team up there. We um, <laughs> can discuss that. Baseball team's got a really old, old ballpark. They should tear down and build. Kind of nasty, too. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, I mean, so there are lots of reasons to go to Boston, Agile New England, and the great things they do up there is definitely one of them. Baseball um, is ch- not. You can check them out online. They got a website, and they got lots of stuff that uh, they have events planned uh, going throughout the 2014 year that are open to anyone who's interested. And they have New England clam chowder. Mm. And, and the North End and stuff. And, and when they have a conference, they have it at MIT at a billion-dollar facility for Microsoft, which is really cool. So. All right, let's see what Amos's picks are tonight. 
All right, so uh, for Nate Mackey, Nate got a pick one time called Candy Box, and it's a little text game in a browser, and I'm not a gamer, uh, but then I had to try to hack the JavaScript, and so Candy Box 2 just came out, candybox2.net. I might have been out for a little while. I just found out about it, but uh, thanks to our host, Nate Mackey, for, for turning me on to Candy Box originally and wasting hours of my life. So uh, instead of doing open source software, you're doing playing CandyBox two well, I'm still doing it's it's JavaScript in the browser, and I'm trying to break it. I see. <laughs> I'm too impatient to actually play a game to the end. <laughs> uh, and then uh, the my other pick is uh, a little book um, mm-hmm. that you can buy, or it's actually available for free on LeanPub and somewhere else. Uh, I don't remember, but we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, called Getting Value Out of Agile Retrospectives by Ben Lenders, and I'm totally going to mess up this other name, uh, Luis Gonchalvet. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, I wish I did. Sorry if I, I pronounced your name wrong. Uh, it, it's it's a little book. I read it in one night when I had a baby that uh, was not going to sleep very well. And it, it was a pretty good book. It's got some exercises for retrospectives and when to use them. It's kind of like a, uh, a recipe book for retrospective games, uh, like a pocket book, really. So it was a nice little, nice little read. Hey, G. Lewis, you have an opportunity to come on This Agile Life and tell Amos he's wrong. So funny you, should, Amos. Funny you should say that, wrong Jason. Wrong about what? Is, is pronouncing his name. Oh, yeah. Just have come do that. It's funny you should say that because they are uh, they're our next our next guests coming up very soon. Oh, so are we going to use this book for? And we should have done Karen's book, but I didn't know about it early enough. We need to start uh, book club episodes once in a while. Absolutely, where we all read the book and then discuss it. We'll work would on you that. Come back and have Karen again. Karen, would you come back and discuss your book with Absolutely. us? Absolutely, I'd be awesome. delighted. Well, I'm writing that down. She committed. She will come back. Okay, <laughs> written down. I wrote well, it down right here, guys. Just just take a five minute break. We could do this right now. Let's just do it. It's a it's a, it's a very short book, and guess what? It's highly effective. Oh. Karen is an author. You wrote a short book, and it's highly effective. More, more. Thank you. Thank See, you. I'm going to use that quote right there. As Karen can write a short and effective book, our stories should be able to be short and effective. (laughs) What it lacks in words, it makes up for in pictures, which we know are worth a thousand words. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Tell the analyst groups that like to give you a word count to write to. (laughs) There are words in it, folks. There really are words in it. Don't (laughs) let them make you think it's just a picture book. No, no. She showed us earlier. It's It's true. quite a few words. I'm pretty excited to, to read it. As am I. And most importantly, Karen, just to confirm, that is, it's in print, which is what I have, but it is now an ebook or a, it's, an, it's in electronic yes. also. Yes, you can get it on the iBook store or you can get it in Kindle Fire format on Amazon, but I still have a big pile of them here at home. <laughs> an awesome paperback. And I'll uh-huh. get discounts. <laughs> the other thing, too, that I'll say, guess what? If it's on Kindle stuff, Instant PowerPoint. Instant PowerPoint. <laughs> I don't think you should pirate her. Works. Not pirate her. You can Jason. just present it. It's awesome. You have to annotate. You know, you have to use the appropriate footnoting <laughs> annotations. My what wife else? is the high school English teacher. She will tear me up about. I want to know how John got from me talking about PowerPoint to piracy. I don't know. That could be the next episode. 
<laughs> All right, look, I'm going to get my pick in here before we go completely off the rails. So I, I have a productivity tip. Occasionally, where we give productivity tips on the show, Amos has recommended this. The, is, this is the first one that I know of, at least that we've called a productivity tip. Well, I think it's a best practice. You, I thought we just wasted an hour of everybody's time listening to it, but let's go for it. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to give it now. <laughs> I love, jeez, jeez, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here, here comes my productivity tip. So it's called 50-20-50, and it's kind of like Pomodoro. So that was a technique that Amos recommended previously. As Jason said, I'm the historian for the show, so I remember these things. And the 50-20-50 technique is great if you need some time to focus on something. So the concept is you take 50 minutes, you shut everything off, turn off your phone, shut down your email, Shut down Twitter, shut down whatever it is that would co- commonly distract you. Go into some sort of full screen focus mode on what you're working on. Work on that thing for 50 minutes. And then give yourself a treat. Give yourself a break. Take 20 minutes. Do something else. Completely unrelated. Non-work related. Go go walk the dog or walk on the, the stair climber for 20 minutes. You know, Give yourself an outlet. Take a break. Come back. Like Candy Box 2. Candy Box 2. Good choice. Always a good choice. Go do that. Come back. Right back in. Another 50 minutes. Super focus mode. Shut everything off. And at the end of that, it'll be... That's a two-hour window of time. And it's a great way, if you're a creative type, if you're an author, if you're a, a software developer... If you work by yourself, if you pair program, this is something you could use with pair programming, but it gives you a time and an opportunity to hyper-focus, relax, let the creative juices kind of collect and flow, and then come back in and go hyper-focus again. And uh, it's something I've been trying to do with some of the work that I do on the side and whatnot, and it's been very effective. So I thought I would share it with you all tonight here on This Agile Life. I would love or some project managers to give us their thoughts on that. No, we don't like project managers. Well, I think they might have a different viewpoint. And what's funny, John, because again, what you talked about is what how our bodies are made. You know, your brain needs a break. So, um, and if you take a break, your brain just works better. And sometimes we're quick to think about that. And although we might be programming a state machine or a computer, it can work forever until the battery dies. Uh, your brain's a little bit more complicated. We'll leave it at that. And even the body, um, Jason, I read not that long ago that if you sit for an hour or more without moving on a routine basis, your risk of heart disease go up, goes up. But if you just get up and walk a minute or two every hour, your risk of heart disease goes down. It's amazing. We could go on for ever we could go on all night talking about this stuff unfortunately this medium just doesn't allow for that and uh we'd like to continue this conversation with you so join us in our private google plus community you can interact with the hosts of the show we're going to send karen a special invitation to join us in our google plus community so you'll be able to find karen out there in our community maybe And you can go out there and join our community from our website by clicking the Join the Community logo right there, big orange Join the Community logo. Check it out and join us. And you get a free hug from Amos if you ever see him in public. 
That's the best part. Okay, everyone, that's all we have time for tonight. I'd like to thank each of my co-hosts for being here tonight. We'll start with Jason Tice. Jason, where can folks find you out on the internet? People can find me at www.theagilefactor.com or on Twitter at theagilefactor. And Amos King, where can folks find you? You can find my ugly blog at dirtyinformation.com or you can find me on GitHub or Twitter at ADKRON. And now, no longer am I ever allowed to make my blog look good because it being the ugly blog has become a thing. I think that's a way to sell it. (laughs) Aaron Favaza Spencer, where can people find you out there on the internet? Oh, you can find me at agilekindergarten.com or you can find me on Twitter at agilekinder. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Aaron, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for putting up with all of our antics here tonight. It has been a wonderful conversation, and I have certainly learned quite a bit from you. Well, thank you. I've learned from you, gentlemen, too. Thank you for having me. You're yeah. welcome. And we'll hold, that, we'll hold you to the coming back thing. Anytime. Great. All right, everyone. Be sure to check out our website at thisagilelife.com for the show notes for this podcast and all of our past 31 episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. <laughs>